filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. I know where I was when DC United got a winning streak in 2020. I don't think it's going to, it's going to be something that's etched in my memory forever, but I know that I was sitting on the spot on my couch, just to my left when DC United finally got a winning streak in 2020. I'm very glad you, you didn't just point because you were just pointing. Uh, and at a certain <laughs> point it was going to be clear to Ben and I where you were, but that was going to be it. Um, Adam is sitting on the couch that he's talking about and pointing to his left. Uh, so you probably don't know what that looks like, but it's a couch in his house. So if you, if you can picture a couch, you can probably get. It's, so it's a brown couch. Yeah. Uh, it, it's L shaped with. Um, are, are, are we really doing this? Kind of section on the return. And I was, I was sitting in the corner where, where the sectional. Uh, well, I mean, that's the best place to sit. Yeah, of course, obviously. And that is where I was sitting when DC United got their first ever winning streak of 2020. And DC United on... tweeted. I was, sitting on my I was sitting on my couch, but in the middle with my feet on the ottoman. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was sitting exactly where I am podcasting from because I have two screens here so I can type the recap on one side and just look slightly to my left and look at my old laptop, which, again, I think I've talked about it on the show. At one point, it failed a hard drive test. It said, like, this hard drive is bad. Um, and I was like, well, that sucks. And I got this other computer. But it has continued to run. And it continues to run well enough that I can have, like, four or five tabs open on Chrome. I don't push it any further than that because I assume it will burst into flame. Um, but it does yeah. well enough that I can put a soccer stream on there and watch that game. And that's how I've been doing it. This has been a thrilling instance of a minor detail of the geographies of our various homes and where screens might be. Tweet at us and tell us where you were when (laughs) DC United got their first winning streak of 2020. Um, I think, honestly, my favorite part of the winning uh, of that memory was seeing DC United tweet out the Elmo fire Helmo meme. Um. That just encapsulated exactly where we are as a fan base, and I loved it. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Obscure Facts About Our Homes podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United. And tonight, we are talking about a winning streak. Gosh, dang it. Uh, We will also preview DC United's upcoming visit from the Columbus crew. That'll happen Wednesday night. October 28th at Audi Field. Watch it on dcunited.com if you're in the immediate area. WJLA News 24-7 if you get that channel. ESPN Plus otherwise. Uh, we're also going to look at uh, the lineups and bust that up a little bit. We'll probably disagree and fight. There might be name calling. There might be tears. Stick around to the end for that. Before anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? 
I'm getting over a cold that my daughter brought back from daycare. Um, thankfully, not COVID. Um, just a regular old rhinovirus. Um, so I'm, I had a cup of coffee uh, about an hour ago because I was about to fall asleep. Uh, and now I'm just drinking water. But I had a cup of coffee with, uh, we make French press coffee. And then whatever we don't drink during the day, we just store it in jars in the fridge to use as like backup coffee. And uh, I had some backup coffee, dash of milk, a little bit of Splenda. This okay. is a uh, a move for you. I remember there was a time where it was it was tea and less coffee was like a is like an emergency option. Yes, I mean, well, it is kind of an emergency because I need the caffeine. But since uh, I've been working from home, mm-hmm. since the coffee is just there, I'll usually have one cup in the morning and then transition to tea for the rest of the day. I am still old and cannot drink coffee after lunch unless I want to not sleep at all at night. It is bad. Um, I weaned myself too thoroughly from caffeine in the afternoons. And here I am drinking my glass of Spanish white wine that I got from a pre-picked wine six-pack from my friend's wine store. It's very good. I enjoy it. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so, so earlier today, I was thinking that because it's kind of dreary and kind of getting chillier, I was I was like, I'll probably I have some scotch. I'll probably put scotch on the rocks. It's getting to be that kind of weather. Um, but as the day has gone on, it's not it's kind of or it's not kind of it's very humid. Um, and so the supposed chilliness in the air is not really present. It's not really that cold because of how humid it is. Um, and so instead of doing a scotch on the rocks, I went completely in the other direction. Uh, so I've got a uh, spicy Paloma. I brought it back. Um, so I've got my um, yep. Olmeca Altos, uh, a couple, like three spoonfuls of my um, Fresno chili infused tequila, which is getting low. So I'm going to have to make some more at some point. Um, and some uh, grapefruit soda and limes from, from limes. Naturally, the top shelf. Top, top shelf. The top shelf limes. Yep. All right. For the first time in 2020, DC United has won consecutive games and road games at that. Black and red Saturday afternoon went down to Georgia, brought back three points after some late fireworks, gave them a two to one win over Atlanta United at the Benz. Uh, the the big surprise at the the outset was seeing Russell Knauss's name in at center back. Uh, he returned from yellow card suspension uh, and, and, moved to the back line after Frederick Briant was scratched for an illness at the last minute. Um, all he did was score a goal and make it onto MLSsoccer.com's team of the week. You know, no big deal. Um, just a regular kind of performance for Russ. <laughs> yeah, I really... Go ahead, Ben. I really liked his performance as center back. Uh, uh, I mean, I think we'd all prefer him to be playing midfield but given given uh, the necessity of him on the back line give me him, give me him as a center back any t- any day of the week over him as a right back i think it plays to his strengths better because he's used to being in the middle of the park he can uh he's used to running backwards in that in in that area of the field knows what to do uh to uh, 
get in the way of shots near the top of the box, which he did a number of times. Uh, he uh, cut out a number of passes. He was able to uh, tackle the ball off of people. Uh, and there was one time, in the, I think, in the second half where he just uh, ran down the uh, Atlanta United attacker who tried to uh, juke around him, and then uh, Russ kind of just like pirouetted and stole the ball back off his foot uh, for a counterattack. I think it was that was probably like the... 80th minute or so um but yeah i i really liked his performance uh the captain's armband doesn't mean much but he definitely uh was a leader on the field on the day and uh both by example and and vocally and i think i would much rather they build a team where where if russ has to uh move to the back line that he's in a center back role. I don't want to, I don't want to speak the cursed name of Jeff Cameron on this podcast, but uh, (laughs) it's, it's a, I did. Uh, It may not be a permanent transition, but he definitely looked, uh, I think similarly good, at least on the, on the one-off. Yeah. I mean, his passing was what, what stood out. Right. Um, And it's been a while since DC United had someone who could pass like that from the center back spot. And I think it helped the team on the night. I don't like, I, I feel differently about this than I did about Yamil Assad. Um, like I loved Russ's performance, but I'm not convinced that that's where he should be uh, long-term at 510. That's a little small for a center back when a lot of your defense is predicated about forcing crosses in. Um, but he did a great job. I think, um, I guess the cynic in me thinks, you know, he he's basically played center back with how deep the midfield has been uh, for a lot of this year. So he's basically playing center back already. Uh, so maybe that helped the transition either way. Great night from, from Russell Knauss. It's, it's interesting that, um, you know, I, I asked Chad Ashton about this after the game and he said, you know, it's like he's been there all his life. Um, and, and Russell also said for himself that he hadn't played center back since probably sometime on the youth national team. Um, somewhere in those days. So it's been quite a while. Um, he's not, he does not have the center back build. I think Adam, you just said 5'10", and I thought immediately, I don't think he's 5'10". Um, he's officially listed at 5'10". I looked it up. I, it might be a generous 5'10". I'm 5'9", and when I've spoken to him after the game in the locker room and he's barefoot and I have a pair of shoes on, I am slightly taller than him. Um, so if I took my shoes off, we'd probably be dead even. Um, so yeah, we're not, we're, neither of us are built for being center backs. He's obviously a little going to, going to be a little better because he is an athlete and I am not. Um, but uh, no, he, he handled it really well. I think it was also an interesting choice from DC because they kind of, they had to get a good read on Atlanta because Atlanta has started John Gallagher up there uh, in most of the recent games. That's who I actually thought was going to be starting up front for them. Um, Kubo Torres was listed as out on the injury report, but obviously started the game. Um, and, and that wasn't a shock that he played because Atlanta made him available to speak to the media. I think they just either, I don't even think it was skullduggery. I think the the game guide that media gets is not always trustworthy. We've had issues where it lists the wrong referee, um, et cetera. So sometimes those things just don't get updated, uh, cause it is a human being updating a like 50 page PDF. Um, sometimes things get missed. So um, they had to sort through that because it was not 100% clear what his status was. They also could have started Adam John, who is a giant target man. Um, and it's a big gamble. So 
Um, you know, DC didn't disclose Frederick Briant's illness, and maybe that was a smart little bit of uh, chicanery, a uh, little gamesmanship, because if it had been known that they were going to go, like Briant wasn't going to play and that they were going to go with Canals, then Atlanta might consider starting Adam John instead. Um, so they got that little bit of guesswork done correctly because this was a game where you could get away with it, um, where it's not a huge target man and they're just going to pump balls into the box and eventually expose the fact that no matter how good of an athlete you are, if you're five, nine and the guy next to you is six, three, that's a big problem if the ball's in the air. Um, so I think that was an interesting, but it, it proved a good choice. Um, you know, he made team of the week because at this point, or really every time, even, even in normal times, the time, the amount of time that people are given to vote for, these things is so small, you can't possibly have seen all the games. And so most of the time, if you're a defender and you get a goal, you get on team of the week. Um, and that bears yeah, out even more. There was but, one week, either this week or last week, where there was only one player out of the 11 who hadn't scored a goal that week. And weirdly, it was one of the forwards. <laughs> so go figure. Um, but no, he, he did well on the physical side. Um, his speed, his mobility, not just straight line traditional speed but that like five yards that he can make up on people um ben you know ben mentioned the one play that uh also comes to mind um there were a few of those where he used his the fact that he's just faster than most center backs uh and when you combine him with donovan pines you've got the fastest center back duo dc has been able to put into a game in a very long time um right next to each other so um it was interesting to see the the way they worked because Pines alongside Briant has been the one that steps high to try and break play up. And when you see Canals and Pines, you say, okay, Pines has more experience as a center back. Um, he's also taller. He has that recovery speed. If things go wrong, you would expect Canals to step into the midfield where he spends most of his time as a soccer player. But they didn't, they didn't switch to that. They kept the same dynamic where Pines would step up and it worked uh, for the most part. It wasn't perfect, but given that it was an ad hoc uh, lineup gamble uh, it turned out pretty well. So it's a credit to Canals. I also think the coaching staff handled it uh, pretty admirably, all things considered. I, I don't know that you can do it again now that Columbus knows it's even a possibility because before kickoff, we did not know that this was a thing that might happen. Um, I think it might be something that happens against Columbus, though. Uh, Frederick Brion is currently day-to-day -day, right. um, dealing with that illness. If he's not ready to go, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chad Ashton throw sure. Russ back out there next to Donovan Pines and say, yeah. have another go at it. Um, even if Columbus, you know, you, you keep it day to day on, on Briant and you don't tip your hand. Um, you certainly don't make Russell Knauss available to the press in the pregame. Right. Uh, but you, you know, it, it seems like something I, like I said, it's not something I want to see full time, but if it has to happen one more time, um, I, I can live with that, especially at this point in the season. And we, we do have to be cognizant of the fact that, like we talked about previously and like I wrote about and I'm going to write about again, DC United is in the playoff chase. Um, and the fact is that, like, every single one of these games has to be treated, if you're DC United, like a must win. So you've got to decide, yep. how can we win today? Not what does it mean for the next two games? Just how do we win this game? Um, what's the best way for us to win this game today? Um, and so if, if that means that Briant toughs it out on Wednesday night and, and maybe 
you know, gets an IV at halftime or whatever, that might be what it is. Or it might be, you know, hey, we think Columbus is going to go super direct. Spoiler, they probably aren't. Um, and maybe we play Axel Schuberg uh, instead. But um, yeah, the decisions right now have to be based on uh, winning a game because DC has, by picking up seven points in three games, it, which is ironically something Ben Olsen used to say all the time, you're, you're three games away from being in it at, at any time in any season. And now, sure enough, they have three games. Here we are. Got seven points out of nine, and everyone else is bad. Uh, and DC's three points from a playoff spot somehow. Three points from the playoff spot with a with zero point nine points per game. Right. There was a. Ben Wright from Speedway Soccer tweeted out a graphic with the um, the current points, the maximum total points that any t- one team can get, and their projected points based on points per game out earlier and while it does convey that there is a playoff race going on the numbers are low enough where it is also conveys that most of the east is still kind of sad um now for speedway soccer it's about like hey we're an expansion team we're gonna make the playoffs most likely this is cool and it for them it is cool uh but for the rest of us that are not expansion teams it's kind of like it sure would be something to make the playoffs but also Wow, this is not a good season for the East. Um, these numbers. I mean, part of me that, like, all right, our friend Nate Scott, friend of the podcast, editor at USA Today, um, <laughs> host of the Sneak, check it out. Uh, he he tweeted out that he would be angry. Yes, if DC United, like to the point of physical reactions, if DC United makes the playoffs after this messed up year, and I, I feel that. Um. I don't know if I want this season going one second longer than well, it has to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we had all like, and not just the three of us, but like as a fan base, had long since uh, stopped thinking about there being games beyond the the twenty third regular season game. It was like that will be it, and then we will have to think about how the team has to change and da da da. da. Uh, we were not thinking about the postseason, uh, but then they got a win, and the, and then they got a second win, and it's like, well, wait a minute, no one else is winning any games. Uh, the only other team in the bottom eight that won a game was Miami. Um, everyone else is bad, uh, and everyone else is proving that they are bad. And so if DC is just not bad for a handful of games, that will probably be enough to get in. Now, it's still exceedingly unlikely. Um, there's a game-in-hand situation with Chicago that has to be resolved. I haven't even looked at where that comes from because the schedule has so many holes in it. And it's not even really worth investigating at this point because we're still talking about like a harebrained scheme rather than a, uh, a genuine playoff thing, but like three points is three points. Um, so it's a, it's a fascinating place to be in. I know the folks in Atlanta pretty much were like, well, we're out, we're done. We're not going to playoffs. Th- this game is, th- that was it. Helmand Rivas ended our playoff hopes. Um, and they're in a better position than DC. <laughs> so um I'm going to start writing a story called Chad Ashton uh, gift or curse. And the first line is going to be the gods often punish us by giving us exactly what we ask for. And this essay, I will, I will, I will also point Keep out going. That, uh, Nate, Nate talked about how uh, he himself was in the playoffs. So I want to congratulate him on his qualifying for the MLS playoffs out of the Eastern conference this year. Um, one of, one of the 10 entries to get into the postseason, just Nate by himself. Um, which, uh, I like good luck to him. Into Nate Scott tweets. 
Yeah, I, I mean, and, it's going to be an, Twitter an, memes and, uh, an and, interesting and match between him and New York City FC. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do. Uh, I think he's going to have a problem in that you are not allowed to start a game without uh, – literally you have to have eight human beings. One of them has to be dressed as a goalkeeper, so he can't just show up by himself. I um, think if the right referee was there and he managed to draw Montreal, he would have a chance to advance. I think I think Nate's strategy needs to be like moving around very fast and making phone calls to the referee and changing his voice so it sounds like there are eight different people that want to speak to the referee via phone somehow. Um, but just yeah, moving around very quickly uh, and popping up in different places around the stadium, it might be enough to get kickoff at least. Um, and then you're you're you've always got a chance. You know, I'm thinking. You know, the number on his back will be the, the kind of like the hologram trading card you could get where it changes based on the angle you're looking at it. So he could get looks, he could look like he has different numbers on his shirt. Sam, I have no idea what, why this is happening. I'm so sorry right now. Back, back to games that are real and happened. Uh, the game winning goal in Atlanta came uh, through a couple of substitutes. Kevin Paredes beat Brooks Lennon, uh, got to the end line, cut the, cut the ball back to find Hellman Rivas. Uh, for a left-footed hit into the upper 90. Um, I just want to shout out Kevin Paredes' touch to get around. Um, Amazing. To get around yeah. Because I, I think Joseph Mora kind of under-hit the pass <laughs> to, to put Paredes in behind, and Paredes just took it and just touched it, chipped it uh, on his first touch over uh, Brooks Lennon. And then the thing that really caught my eye was <laughs> his next touch was the pass. He didn't take another touch to settle it on the end line and then get the ball on the ground and do it. He just hit it out of the air and put it on a platter for, for Rivas. It was, it was a really good play. And I think that the fact that he hit it essentially first time on the end line, instead of settling the ball is the difference between one point and three in this game. Yeah. This so, is the, the technical comfort. Um, thinking back to Griffin Yao's goal against TFC. Um, this is the level of technique that's coming out of the academy um, right now, yep. uh, because it's not like those are the only two. Like Moses Nyman has better technique than either of them. Um, he's one of the most technical players on the entire roster. Um, so this is the kind of player that the academy is producing right now, and um, I think it's a really interesting play all around. Because when you, if you scroll it back before this Mora and Paredes moment, you've got Jordi Reyna who came back and played a few minutes after uh, clearing quarantine, um, winning a one-on-one, getting away from a defender, cutting back on him, and then um, picking out Mora, who has an overload already. And if Reyna can't show that sort of crafty footwork to get away from his man, this whole thing breaks down as well. Um, and yeah, the Paredes, the first touch, is a, it's a, if you're playing and you want to, if you want a good idea on how to approach a defender on turf, one thing you can do is sort of get them to bite because Brooks Lennon bites and tries to make the tackle early. Um, and since he's got his foot planted, you can just sort of dink it up over his foot because his foot's in the ground. He can't get it up out of there fast enough to catch the ball going over it. So if you play it on the ground, the ball hits his foot, goes out for a corner, and we're probably talking about a draw. Instead, you clip it up over, and Paredes actually clipped it kind of high over. Um, well over yeah, it, you, yeah. You take that first touch and you clip it over the defender's foot so that they, it doesn't get blocked out for a corner or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the second touch, the the awareness that um, there was no time or space to do anything other than get the ball back in. Um, but I also want to credit, 
Helman Rivas here because His movement was really good. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you see that it's him and um, Chris Odoyhm once again, really high up the field, but they both push the defenders into the six. And so there's four Atlanta defenders. There's enough numbers for Atlanta to deal with the chance, but they push forward and then Rivas drops off real quick. And he drops off right when he sees that it's not going to be a low ball. He senses that Paredes isn't going to try and square it past Guzan and hope for the best. He's going to cut it back. And as soon as that's on, and that's the kind of thing that comes with time. This is a maybe a play that doesn't happen in Rivas's first or second game um, when he hasn't had a good chance to see or have a sense of what Kevin Paredes likes to do in a situation like that. Um, but he well, had we said from a uh, shout out to Claudia Pagan and the, the multimedia team at DC United. They, they did a little feature on the budding friendship specifically between Paredes and Rivas before mm-hmm. this game where they, they seem to hang out in training. They joke around, they, they get each other um, and they have that connection off the field. And I think that probably, you know, the fact that they're spending that time together and watching each other in training specifically, that relationship is, contributed to this and that's yeah great and so shouts to them for highlighting that in such a timely um, way yeah and, and uh it's smart of, as well of Rivas to um have the composure and the awareness of the space he'd created for himself to take that touch rather than just try and shoot first time out of you know it's stoppage time it's desperate you kind of get the you lose your head a little bit and you're trying to rush things and he the ball's kind of behind him it's a really difficult shot to get away first time so he's made sure on turf in this moment to slow it down and just take the one touch to get his body around the ball so that then, you know, he could um, hit a laser over Guzan. Cause if he under hits this, if it's a softer shot, Guzan probably tips it over the bar um, or one of the defenders that dives in maybe gets a touch to it and maybe it goes off the post or goes to Guzan or whatever. Um, and we're not talking about a goal again. It's a, it's a very this is a narrow goal on a lot. There's a lot of little places where this one almost got away from DC. Um, so I, I like the fact that these subs came in and made a difference. Um, I think um, you know Pablo Maurer tweeted something about um, Helman Helman Rivas and there being some doubts about him in terms of defensive work rate. But um, I've said this a lot on the show over the years. You need to have forwards of a different uh, type. You need to have, you can't just have three or four guys who all do the same thing. And it's something that we worried about a lot this year with Kamara and Sorga because they kind of want to play the same. They're both guys that want to run into space and run in behind. Rivas isn't quite that same kind of guy, just like Jordi Reyna isn't that kind of that same, that same kind of player or Edison Flores or Griffin. Yeah, they're all different types of forwards when they play up front. Um, And that's really important. I don't think Rivas has a, future as DC United's starting number nine. I don't think we're going to see him score 15 plus goals in 2021. However, the schedule looks like that's a whole mess that uh, is for down the road. We don't even actually know. It's just rumored that it might be starting in like May or April. Um, But I think there's going to be a role for someone like Rivas on a regular basis because he brings this, he brings a different thing from the rest of the group. I think we'll get into it later, but I think there's there's an argument to be made that he should certainly be starting over Kamara for the reasons you said, and also because Kamara just hasn't been producing at this point. Um, he has that defensive work rate, but like I said, we'll get into it later. Uh, before we get out of this segment, some, some bad news for DC United today as we record this on Monday. 
Chris Aduichem out with a concussion. Um, I assume we won't see him on Wednesday. Hopefully we'll see him sooner than later. Um, but DC United's history with concussions. I assume this happened in training. We don't know. I don't have any other details other than he had a concussion. Um, it, it's, it hurts, especially because he's in the form of his life right now uh, for, for DC United and playing really, really well uh, and contributing to a team that's finally you know looking like a competent soccer team. And so losing him is, it, it hurts for the team, but it, you also, it hurts for him, right? Like he's overcome yeah. more than most of us will in our entire lives um, and, and is now playing the best, doing his professional job at the highest level he's ever done it. Um, and now to face this next setback, it's, it's hard. And um, we're all rooting for him to, to come back and, um, so we'll we'll talk about the implications of for the team later, but I want to end the segment with just good wishes for Chris, and hopefully we see him back on the field real soon. Um, with that, we will call that a segment. We'll be right back. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work, and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens, and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you called the ehrlich law office because you have rights that's right and your rights matter and you deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work the ehrlich law office handles workplace discrimination they do civil rights uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or, or something to, to that effect, if you, uh, if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government, call the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, if you want a free consultation, Tell them we sent you. Go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will host the Columbus crew this Wednesday on Buzzard Point. Until recently, they were leading the Eastern Conference, but the crew have won just one of their last six games and now find themselves in third place. Um, no guests this week. We're just going to run through the crew really quickly. Um, hopefully like DC United does on Wednesday. Pew, pew. pew. Oh, uh, Jason, what's going wrong? (laughs) I said, I hedged, I hedged hard. I said, hopefully. um, remember this, uh, if, if, if Adam just cursed us, remember this and that it was him and, uh, we should all make him do penance. Please don't. Uh, Turn around three times, throw throw salt over your shoulder and spit. And curse. Uh, Jason, what's going wrong with the crew right now? Why is it that they've, like, they were literally leading the Eastern Conference. They were in the Supporters' Shield race. And now they are down in third place, one win in their last six. What's going wrong? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you mentioned you know, one win in their last six. Before that, in their first 13 games, they had one loss at all. And it was... um at NYCFC. So it was one of one of 
you know, or I don't even know if it was at Yankee Stadium. This might have been before they were allowed to play there. So who knows what venue that was even in anymore. Um, it's been a little a little of everything. Uh, the goals, they aren't getting shut out. Um, they are scoring, but they're consistently scoring a goal. Um, and so that and, you know, when you combine that with their their defense before this run was almost impenetrable. They were they had like I think it was four goals against in 13 games. Um, and now all of a sudden they're conceding a bunch. They gave up three against Toronto. They gave up two against Dallas. Um, they did beat NYCFC recently. So I, you know, I, I messed up when I said they've been only scoring a goal. They did have the one game where they scored three. Um, but this is a team that gave up two against Cincinnati. Um, they gave up two to the impact. Um, so their defensive solidity has kind of escaped them a little bit uh, of late. And at the same time, their the goals have dried up a little. Um, Giassi Zardes didn't play against Houston on the weekend. I think the the crew broadcast said they think he might be out a week, so it sounds maybe like he's a doubt for this game. Um, Christian Namath started up front, and his return to MLS since his first stint, where he had one season where he scored ten goals, has not really gone uh, according to that kind of plan at all. Um, kind of like Olegamara's return to at this point maybe even less so um you know he just was not a factor for the crew in in the poor i'm the game is on pause on my uh previously mentioned second screen um but up until the 65th minute he had not really factored in at all he just was kind of out there um the crew broadcast even cited the fact that he was dropping too deep into the midfield and they think he's not good at that and he shouldn't be doing it um so that's been a big problem for them uh, Darlington Nagby missed a few games with injuries. Lucas Celerion has been, he keeps having small injuries, so he'll play and then he'll go away and he'll play and he goes away. Um, he came in at halftime in this game on the weekend. So who knows if he's got more than 45 minutes in him at this point, he, maybe he plays 60 or maybe he has to play less cause it's short turnaround. Um, that's a kind of an unclear situation. Um, and so all this stuff kind of adds up. They've been rotating to kind of keep their wingers fresh um, and when you rotate out someone like Luis Diaz, for example, or, uh, um, uh, was it Yunus Mokhtar, the other, um, the left-sided player who can play as a 10 as well. Um, those guys didn't start against Houston. And if you start rotating them out, you get into, you know, Derek Etienne Jr. is fine. Uh, he's a little like, a uh, New Jersey developed uh, Ulysses Segura, uh, to a certain extent. Um, Emmanuel Boateng. Love that good description. Emmanuel Boateng, who couldn't get a game for DC United, has started several times for the crew. Um, and it, part of it is rotation. Part of it is that um, Caleb Porter's teams kind of sit a little deeper and want to hit on the counter sometimes. And having his speed out there on the counter certainly helps. But it's also kind of predictable. You know if Emmanuel Boateng is in the game, how they're going to use him. It's going to be trying to get him into space where he can sprint. Um so I think it's a little bit of a bunch of a bunch of small things going wrong for them all at once. Um, but it's still a talented team. Like a lot of the guys I've mentioned are good players. So um, as much as they're not in the best form at the moment, I don't know that they, there's not a sense of panic. I don't think I haven't seen anything where I, like Caleb Porter is coming down on his players or um, players are getting frustrated or whatever. I think they know that they are still a good team that has just sort of lost their stride a little bit. Um, but at the same time, if they come to DC and lose, now you're one one win in seven uh, going down the stretch. That's not good. 
Uh, you don't want to be those guys when you previously were like, we could win MLS Cup. Um, so they're in they're in an interesting spot where they might be feeling a little pressure for this game that we, you know, we haven't thought about teams like the crew in a while because they're just, oh, they're near the top. We There's not our business. We have no business thinking about guys at that end of the table. We're not going to play those guys. Um, and weirdly, DC hasn't had to play a bunch of those guys. Um, Philly and Toronto, yes, but they're going to finish the season with zero games against Orlando and one game against Columbus. So um, it's been, again, weird uh, as part of it. I, I know I haven't thought about the crew very much at all uh, since MLS's back has ended because I looked at the schedule and I was like, oh, we don't play the crew until uh, until all the way near Halloween. Uh, uh, put it off, put it off. There's so many other things to think about. I, I'm I am very happy to not be playing Orlando this year. Yeah, it it turns out they're actually good, and we're just not going to have to deal with it. Right. I, yeah, I can, the one I year can, they don't can, have to play DC United. Maybe, maybe there's maybe that's not a coincidence. And I can I can ignore the fact that they're good this year for a while longer, and maybe it'll all come crashing back down by the time we have to play them again. There you go. One can that's hope. The, that's the the kind of optimism that we need, we need right now. <laughs> Is there? I, all right. So I know the German word Schadenfreude. I don't know if there's a word that combines optimism for future schadenfreude. But that's the word I need right now for Ben. Well, yeah. no, uh, I don't if have you were a, a German language expert uh, listening to the show, please get in touch with uh, the complicated and I'm sure very long German word that Adam is looking for because it probably does exist. <laughs> It just we don't know about sure DCU. I mean, German. You can make up German words by just smashing other German words together. That's how the language works. If, um, if you're so a German it, language expert and you can confirm uh, Adam's suspicion that words can just be smashed together in German and it works, um, please also let us know. Tweet this out, Jason. I promise you that is how German works. Uh, <laughs> uh, while you're doing that, also answer this question. Caleb Porter uh, is not Greg Berhalter. Uh, we haven't seen his crew up close. And like you said, we haven't really thought about them since he took the team over, acquired Darlington Nagby, Nagby from Atlanta, got Lucas Zellerion from Mexico. Uh, how does his version of the crew differ from Greg Berhalter's? Uh, I think the main thing is that they are a less expansive team. Berhalter's crew famously wanted you to defend the full width of the field from touchline to touchline, um, using the fullbacks to get wide having their wingers come into the half space um, and making sure that you're always having to stretch wide and that open channels for whether it's Ola Kamara or um, Giassi Zardes uh, to get open and finish those chances that are created like that. Um, and they were also a team that tended to play a lot of low crosses into the box, not high, you know high crosses, but low crosses for a runner to finish rather than a, you know, lofted ball for Adam to lament seeing um, and also for like a big man to try and head in. Um, there wasn't. No, there's not a lot of that. A lot Berhalter's more of the me lamenting than the big man heading in. Most just likely, for the yeah, record, the percentages do show more lament and less finish. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Porter has definitely dropped his line of contention. Um, this is not the early Caleb Porter who was very aggressive and had his teams play with bravado, and then kind of it didn't kind of it. In the end, the bravado wasn't matched by results, and he became more results-oriented and more pragmatic and a little less uh, big on the big talk. And it started to kind of pan out. That's how his Portland team eventually got an MLS Cup, was going that route. 
And with Columbus, it's been a little more of the same. Um, this is not a team that high presses you very much. They do press sometimes, but it's more selective. Um, and I would also say that they are less hooked on possession. Greg Berhalter wanted his team to have the ball. Um, Porter is not trying to not have the ball. I think their their season possession total is still, their average game is above 50%, but they're more mid-table now. Um, they would like to have the ball, uh, but if they can't have it for a little while, they're comfortable. They can live with it. Um, when they do get the ball and Darlington Nagby is available, they do want to keep it. And they also kind of like to use possession to kind of keep you off of them um, because they do have the ability to play out of pressure. Um, so there is a certain element of them wanting you to press them so that they can play around it. Um, it's not 100% clear how much Nagby can play this Wednesday because he was just coming back from injury. They subbed him out, um, what was it, in the 63rd minute um, on the weekend. And the player that replaced him, Aiden Morris, uh, apparently, like literally as we were doing our break between segments, um, uh, Patrick Murphy, who I think we had on the show sometime in the past, um, and he writes for um, Massive Report, noted that uh, Morris is on the injury report. So that reduces their options, it re but it also increases the likelihood that Nagby plays another game um, rather than giving being given a rest and then brought back on the weekend. Like, like I think they might have been planning because they've been kind of rotating a lot. Um, maybe that's one other thing that I don't know if that's a Porter versus Burhalter thing or just a 2020 versus other seasons thing, but they have definitely rotated um, a fair amount just to keep guys fresh. Um, so yeah, that, that's the main difference though, is it's not, it's not as obvious a, uh, or as distinctive a style because you know, what I'm, what I'm saying about Porter is kind of, it sounds more like a regular MLS team. There's a lot of mid block and there's a lot of, we'll, we'll play possession, but if the counter is there, we'll take it. Um, there's a lot of that. And I think Burhalter's crew was more committed to a specific style of play on a more regular basis. Um, Porter, it's a little more pragmatic and it's a little more like in this game, this team we're playing against is bad defending counter. So we're going to drop a little lower and play more on the counter. And in this, this next game, this team is bad at defending in possession. So we're going to try and play through them. We're going to come out and, and step our lineup a little more. So there's a little bit of, um, it's not as consistent because it's more based on what the opponent is good or bad at. So with DC playing four four two, in all likelihood, we're going to see that again because now they've actually started getting results. Why would you change it? Um, so I I expect Columbus to try and press a little more because they've got that numbers advantage in the midfield and try to possess a little more. So I, I don't expect them to sit uh, particularly deep for a road team. This is not going to be um, a visitor trying to make DC figure them out. I think there will be an attempt to play a little bit from Columbus because they're going to see that midfield number situation. And this is the issue with any four, four, two is it, it invites this. Um, and so DC has been okay at figuring that out, but you know, it's going to be a challenge every single time they play it. There's a reason why no one plays it flat four, four, two anymore. Um, and you can do it. It can be done, but it's tough. Um, and so it's a big test for DC again, to overcome a team that's definitely going to play four, two, three, one, and definitely going to try and leverage that third central midfielder. So let's talk about DC United's lineup, not just for this game, but I guess going forward for the rest of the season, however long it may be. Um, this DC United roster might be the most mix and match that 
I've that I can recall seeing, and that's by necessity. So many injuries, so many games in rapid succession, such a weird year. Um, so let's have it out how this this team should line up. I think the assumption is that it's going to be a flat four four two going forward, and well, we. I mean, they played a four two three one in the second. They played a four two three one in the second half. Uh, Yamil Assad dropped deeper than he did in the first half, and I thought he looked better it, even deeper than he had in the in the past two games as as an eight. Well, I don't know if I, I consider think... that. To to me, I I don't know that that was necessarily a four two three one. Um, I mean, they defended in a four four two though, and then Jordi Reyna's movement when DC United got in possession was to drop behind Helman Rivas. But that's still in my mind. Like, as well. ha- That's only about 10 minutes. We're talking about Reno. We're talking about the, only the final few minutes. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. but Flores, talking, but Flores did. Flores moved into the middle. Yeah. But, yeah, but when, when they were defending, of... it was. Go ahead. When I, when I talk about formations, I'm usually thinking of the defensive shape, which also helps define the starting positions in the, the attack or the possession phase. And in def- they were defending out of a four four two, pretty clearly. It was not the the two number the the two central midfielders behind a line of three. It was two bit ba- two banks of four when they were in defense. And that's that's how I think of the the defensive shape and the formation is is in that phase of the game. And then movement in the attack should be more chaotic and less uh, easily defined by three or four numbers, but. Um, however that was. So that's that's why I say it was a 4-4-2. Okay. I, I, I mean, it's what he, Chad Ashman has done so far. I'm just butting in to say I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, it's locked in. It's okay. likely, but not locked in. I, I guess what I would add is that this comes down to that second forward role mostly because when it's been Eric Sorga, um, the, first of all, the amount of running he, that he's had to do lately in this second forward role. Um, this is what kept him in the lineup um, where it's been Rivas or Kamara getting rotated in. And after the game, Ashton said that basically with their nine, they're asking whichever one of them starts to just uh, empty the tank. So they're just running themselves into the ground and then getting subbed 60 to 70th minute, which is why, as we talked about the first segment, Rivas probably starts because Kamara started and ran himself into the ground. So it's probably going to be Rivas against Columbus. Um, but Sorga's job requires more defensive running because he's got to drop back. He It's his job to drop underneath and help cut out the opposing number six from collecting the ball and, and dictating play. Um, and so there's been a ton of that. It's been very a very clear thing where that um, when the team tries to build out that that forward, usually the right forward for to be more specific for DC, it's been Sorga over and over again. That mm-hmm. player has to drop and make sure that they're cutting out the number six. Um, against Columbus, that probably means Artur, um, unless they want to bring Sebastian Berhalter in uh, and rotate uh, Artur out. Um, but they haven't done that a lot lately, so it's probably not going to be the case. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a, it's an interesting thing, though, because it's not, you know, if you think of DC United 4-4-2's past, you might be thinking, well, Jaime Moreno was a classic second forward, um, but in those days, he was not having, he was not taxed with that um, defensive workload. Um, Moreno, if anything, got became really good at saving his legs and spending a lot of the game not running so that he could run when it mattered um, on the ball. 
Uh, this is a whole different implementation, and a lot of it comes down to that second forward has got to work uh, as hard as anyone in the game, which is maybe why Sorga played 45 minutes and then got subbed. It might influence the possibility of him not being able to start one of these next two games because it's just so much, uh, it's so taxing on your legs. But um, it is an interesting situation because it is easy to look at it as 4-4-1-1 defensively. You could easily make that argument because when you, if you hit a pause on the game, you can see one forward stays high, one drops off, and they're trying to make sure that the build out doesn't find that six that it goes out to the fullback or um, goes long. So they're trying to cut the basics out for the other teams. And in MLS in 2020, it's a good idea. Most teams are trying to connect to one of their central midfielders in the possession. Um, and if you can take that guy out of the equation and make them do something else, that's probably all right. And for the in a season where a lot of the fundamentals have gone wrong, uh, consistently doing that via whatever formation, whatever technical requirement, it's nice. It's a starting point. Um and, you know, credit to Sorga, he's done really well. I, When I saw that was his job, I was like, this is a tough, this is a tough ask for someone that's young, um, who up to this point, we didn't really know, we knew he's fast and energetic, but does he have the willpower to be energetic when it's like, this is going to be a lot of thankless running that you have to do anyway? Because um, that's not a lot of fun. And he's used to being, I mean, his experience in Estonia is the guy that scores all the goals not necessarily the guy that has to run and run and run and run defensively. Um, but he's done a really good job. He's earned that role um, on a regular basis. So that's been a, and, a plus, however you look at it, it. And yeah, it's a tactic from a DC United defensively, which isn't uh, just let them cross the ball in and head it away, which is, it's, it's inter- interesting to at least see something different, a new take on, forcing teams to do what you want them to do instead of uh allowing teams what do what they want to do right it's a front foot tactic which is is much more fun to watch than repeatedly just clogging zone 14 with all of the bodies and then (laughs) see what happens from there um i i think you're right that we'll see rebus just because of the the timing of this game but uh, I mentioned it in the last segment. Kamara has a, a lot of people have dinged his his lack of production. But one of the things that that I've noticed is he has this tendency that that Wayne Rooney did in his last days that weren't as productive with DC United, where you just find him on the ball in space that a midfielder also wants to occupy, whether that's centrally or wide. Um, he flares out, which can be a good tactic it can be a good thing to do when you're a center forward especially in a two forward setup but he's flaring out into spaces that someone else wants to occupy and he's getting in the way and he's not as good of a passer or dribbler as the midfielders so he's just in the way he's on the ball and demanding the ball and that's i want a forward who wants the ball that's fine but he's doing it in spaces and at times that don't make any sense and that's where i'm annoyed with kamara um i want him to to trust his teammates because he's not, he's not the level of Wayne Rooney where you have to defer to him and the coaches should tell him stay high, stay at least mostly central. Um, when, when the team's in possession, when the team's on the break, find space wherever you can get it. But when the team's in possession, get in the box and score some goals, dude. I think he's trying to force it. Um, this is a classic when you're a forward and, and, um, the goals aren't coming like you had expected, you start trying to force it. Um, and this is one of those. I think it's as simple as 
Um, I think a lot of Kamara's issues have just been he has had some bad luck. It's not just that he has disappointed form-wise. It's that he's had multiple injuries. He's had the entire attack around him changed uh, shortly after he arrived. Um, COVID happened, so he didn't get to build any continuity with Flores or Gressel. Um, And then on top of that, the team for most of the season hasn't really used him or Gressel or Flores in a way that allows them to flourish. Um, So it's been, I'm sure, very frustrating, and it's hard to stay confident when you're a nine and you know you can produce in this league. Um, And I think this is just him trying a little too hard and not, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but you've got to trust the process a little bit and accept that your role uh, in this way of playing involves uh, staying more central, getting into the box more. Um, It's not entirely a coincidence that while he's been trying to force it, that DC's goal or Rivas's goal in the stoppage time was the first time a DC striker had scored uh, since the NYCFC loss. And I can't even remember the last open play striker goal um, because Kamara scored that one, but it was a penalty. Um, So it's been tough for the forwards overall to get involved. I mean, before that, the closest thing to involvement on a goal for Kamara was just being very early, uh, involved very early in the um, the uh, Odoya Chem goal in Cincinnati. He was one of the first people involved in that move. Mm-hmm. But that's not, you know, you don't want your forwards to be the fourth man on a passing move. Um, and I mean, even that, not... he was deep. He was deeper than yes, Moses. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, some of it is he just has to have the discipline to stay up there um, because his defensive role, we just talked about this, hasn't been playing that other forward spot. He's been the high forward. He's the one that stays up. Um, so he doesn't have that extra responsibility where he's dropping deeper as is, and so he might have a reason to come back a little further in a given moment here and there. Um, so, yeah, he he does need to just sort of – you know, some of some of DC's success lately has been sort of hitting the reset button and getting back to some fundamentals. And he needs to, for personal, you know, his personal play, I think he needs to do the same. He just needs to stick to traditional number nine stuff. Um, there are moments in a game where, sure, it's nice if he tracks back um, and helps in possession if it's late in the game and you're protecting the lead or whatever. But if it's the first half and it's 0-0 zero, zero and he's uh the fourth man out on the wing when they've already got an overload that's in the way um and if he's dropping deeper than uh the double pivot he's taking himself out of the play um the play that play is then going to be much harder to turn into a real goal as a result so yeah he just needs to stay high um but it's tough it's easy to tell him he knows uh better than than any of us the importance of staying up high because he's lived that uh his whole career is based on that um, but it is it is tough when things aren't going well to just take that deep breath and say like okay I I know I have to stay high I know it's tempting to go get my touch or um, I'm frustrated that such and such isn't looking my way so I'm going to drop in drop in and get right up on him so he has to pass to me you got to stay up there uh, you've got to uh, be that high forward um, and maybe this is an opening where you know I suspect that it's going to be Rivas instead of him starting. And if Rivas gets another goal, if he starts uh, firing on other cylinders, he might be the guy. And if we finish the season and Kamara isn't even the sure starter up front, then you start to wonder if he's going to be around next year because part of part of what this team needs is just 
they need someone that's going to produce goals with this group. They either need to figure out how to unlock Kamara or they need to find somebody else. And if Rivas is pushing him aside, that makes it real easy to start thinking, let's find someone else. So, Ben, I know you wanted to talk about Yamil Assad. We mentioned him last week playing in that number eight role. I was very much for it and think it may be his position long-term because he doesn't have the speed that some of our other players have on the outside and he has not produced this year. Maybe that year, essentially year off of playing competitive soccer, uh, reset him a little bit. Now he has a new position. I don't know. But I see him uh, really, really well in that number eight spot. And I'm wondering where you see him going forward. I was not that happy with him in the first half. I thought it it wasn't a great performance. I thought uh, just it it was the whole, I mean, the whole team was very slow, very plodding uh, in that first half. I think he was playing fairly well defensively uh, and did even better in the second half, but I thought it was a definitely a step back from the uh, previous two games and it doesn't it this performance starts to make me wonder whether or not it's something that's beginning to be found out rather than and that he's going to regress back towards a guy playing out of position more than that becoming his new position oh that's interesting um i think that's possible um i think that overall the movement off the ball especially in that first half from dc united across the board was was poor and Assad is going to be better the more... I, I think any central midfielder is going to be better the more other players are moving off the ball. Um, sure. But but Assad and Moses Nyman are basically the, the players who are best at making themselves available in that position on this roster. And that's what... If you want to be a team that doesn't just fall into a shell and bunker... You, you got to move off the ball and you got to make yourselves available to your teammates to, to move the ball up the field. Nassad can do that in the number eight spot. The only other player that, that has shown the ability to do that is Moses Nyman, who I also want to see on the field uh, more yeah. than we have. Um, although he also did really well as a number six alongside Yamil Assad. That midfield made no sense. A four, four, two with <laughs> Moses Nyman and Yamil Assad, but it worked. We got a win out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm interested to see whether how much of this was um, just in general, DC, both teams really just were struggling to execute um, in this last game. Um, How much of it was that playing itself onto Assad's performance and how much of that was Assad's performance wasn't that great um, in this game compared to the others. Good in the final third. I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one to, to say that. I mean, in this game that we're talking about, no one was really very good. It before halftime, um, there was very little good soccer being played by midfielders or forwards, um, especially. It, just, it was a very flat game with very little happening. Um, DC probably had the better of it, but that wasn't a high bar by any stretch. Um, I think uh, overall, I don't think he was necessarily bad, but he was a little more predictable and a little less um able to be on the spot faster than Atlanta's players. Um so I am curious about the fact that this is 
another game coming up with short rest. This Atlanta game was not a short rest game, so I kind of expected him to be more energetic, um, which is maybe a little bit of a negative that he didn't quite have that zip that he had that everyone had in some of the previous games. Um, I do also, I kind of wondered this during the game, the fact that this whole year has been Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. Um, actually, that that sequence of games doesn't add up because eventually it's two games on a Saturday and a Sunday. But regardless, it means the games have stacked up three and four days apart over and over again. Um, maybe the fact that they had a more traditional week kind of throws the rhythm off a little bit because you suddenly don't have that game to travel to after a couple of days. You have more training. Um, and more training is good, and they've needed that, but also, you know, maybe it is a little bit of a, a, a suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute, what is A this? letdown a little bit. Yeah, it, it's just a little bit odd, and everyone's so used, everyone's in the, you know, we're, it feels like we're many months into the process of this um, series of games, this back half of the season, but it this started in September, um, or late <laughs> August, I guess. Uh, it isn't that long, it's two months, and we've played uh the equivalent of like four months worth of games and once you start getting into a rhythm like that it can be a little disruptive to suddenly have a full week um as much as it's good for your legs and good for your mind probably um and i I, i'm undecided what exactly influenced Assad um or and dc in general um in this one how much of it was atlanta being like okay he's probably going to play there so this is what we have to expect um, so it is interesting. It's an interesting problem that uh, Chad Ashton uh, and the coaching staff have to tackle um, because now on one hand, if you think it's a rhythm thing, then you say, okay, we've got another game Wednesday, so he should be better this time uh, because he's back in the familiar rhythm of never uh, unceasing games. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if you're of the opinion that maybe Atlanta's starting to figure him out a little bit, um, then you've got to maybe look at rotating him out on Wednesday just you know to avoid that problem and also to um keep his legs because he's been I I think if I I haven't done the math but I think he's probably the minutes leader over the last month or so um for the entire team including goalkeepers so um yeah it's it's a tricky problem um and and it also it doesn't help that DC doesn't have too many other options. Um, you know, they can bring Moses Nyman in and that's about it. If especially if Brianna isn't fit, then it's gotta be Moreno, Nyman, and Assad playing for two spots. It's it's only three guys left if you want to play Canals at center back. So um it is partially just a need thing, and he might continue just for the fact that he's seems to be fit. He doesn't seem to be um struggling with any knocks. He does not having a bunch of um you know, treat, needing treatment. Muscular. Yeah, there's nothing like that going on. So um, I am curious to 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 see what they want to do there because this was, out of the games he's played this this specific position, the Atlanta game was his weakest of the three. Um, I will say bad. he was limping for a time out yes. there. So maybe this is a game that you you give him the night oh, off man. or at least bring, bring him in as a sub at some point. And, yeah. and you run Moses Nyman out there. It's a big ask for... For Moses um, to go against Darlington, potentially Darlington Nagby, and and the crew midfield, but I mean at this point you <laughs> you got to go with the team well, you have. Also, has has Nyman given us a reason to think he's not potentially up for it? 
No, um, not at all. So, he's, so that's part of the that's a, a good thing is that yeah. it's not like, well, we'll have to throw him out there and what can you do? We were at that stage a few weeks ago, but when he was thrown out there, I was like, well, I, I don't know. I guess he's going to have to play 90. Um, he's produced. He's done really well with it. So um, at least the option to rotate is there and it's not a we have to rotate him or he will get injured. It's a, well, we've got the option. You know, we could rotate him uh, without risking, you know, pushing him to the absolute limits. Um, we also have the option of bringing Nyman in, moving Assad out to the left and playing Flores as one of the two forwards. Um, that option exists. Now that Jordi Reyna is back, we don't necessarily need that option, but, you know, it's it feels weird because we're still talking about a DC team that now that Odoya Chem is out, we're back to having only 20 fit players. So two goalkeepers are going to be in uniform or two backup goalkeepers are going to be in uniform again. Um but it still feels like there are more options now because there are a few guys that can play multiple positions. So and we need to hope that. Go ahead, and ben. we just need to hope that uh, none of our other fullbacks, none of our two remaining healthy fullbacks, right. get injured. Yeah, yes. that's what I was going to say. Is who's behind O'Neill Fisher now at right back? Who do you have number two on that line? Is it is it Julian Gressel or is it Griffin Yao? Uh, well, Kevin Paredes played there a few weeks ago. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's probably him. Um, in all honesty, it's that, or, um, you know, if, if Briant can't go, then you have to start to consider, uh, Schuberg and moving Knausta right back again. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're all we, on the same page at wanting, at, at preferring Knaus over Schuberg yes. at center back right yes. now. Unless uh, can, Sh- can Schuberg play right back? No, he's far too slow. No, no, no. no. Unless <laughs> we're playing a team with a giant target man, uh, or excellent set piece history, which, the crew actually, if anything, uh, to go back a second, uh, one of the other things that I didn't really mention, the crew are starting to give away set-piece goals on a, a somewhat regular basis. I think they brought it up on the broadcast that it was three times in the last six games that they've given up one, and previously they had been pretty much locking that down entirely. So um, they aren't necessarily a team of big dudes, so that's not a concern, I don't think. If you can get away with it against Atlanta with the possibility of Adam John coming in, you probably get away with it against Columbus because the the crew don't have a bunch of huge targets. They don't have a prolific center back goal scorer. I mean, I could be setting DC up to fail right now because set pieces have been such a weakness, but um, yeah, this is a game where you can probably get away with Ken house. Um, the height, the height situation isn't really as glaring uh, this, this time around. And on so... the other side, Knaus's goals tend to come from set pieces, even when he plays he in the midfield. Um, he's really good at being that <laughs> the guy behind the back post guy, like DC United loves serving it up to Steven Birnbaum or Donovan Pines at the back post. And if for some reason, one of them isn't able to get to the ball, Russell Knauss will score. <laughs> like that's kind of how it works. All of, all of Knauss's set piece goals have come from a situation where he, he's, he has a scripted role. And he said this in the, um, the post game against Atlanta that, he had a scripted role. It wasn't that him and Gressel, him, him and Gressel didn't like talk it over beforehand or make eye contact or anything specific. It's just in general, he knew that if the ball was being served in that direction, he had a run that he had to make. And it just so happened that a bunch of players tangled up and fell over and Gressel or in Canals got goal side of his man and the ball was really good. It was excellent service from Gressel, which has been hit or miss this year. Um, but he's, he has started to show, um, not that this is really the topic, but his service lately, his his precision is starting to pick up a little bit, um, which is really important because 
if DC isn't going to be necessarily finding a ton of goals from their strikers right now, got to find them from somewhere. And Yumil Assad's set piece delivery has been all right. Edison Flores served in a couple of good balls as well. Um, and we know that Gressel can deliver this kind of cross, um, this kind of service on a set piece as well. So all of a sudden, the options there uh, for this game, not that this is necessarily influencing the lineup, but if you have a team that's suddenly giving up set piece goals quite a bit, and you've started to find uh, a little bit more success on that, then that could be promising. And this could be a game where we're talking about uh, Donovan Pines getting on the score sheet again, for example, um, which is not so, a bad thing. I think it might influence the lineup because there, there's an argument to be made that Griffin Yao deserves a start over Julian Gressel at that right midfield role. And Julian Speaking Gressel, of people I think... limping at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, but assuming everyone's able to start, Julian Gressel, his set piece delivery does set him apart from from Griffin Yao. Um, we've seen the the wide midfielders cutting inside a lot, even not just in the final third, but in the middle third to try to help make those numbers. Um, Julian Gressel's been very far inside uh, during possession in this. And my biggest beef with him is that he's trying hero balls all the time from that spot and turning the ball over. It's not like he, he gets on the ball and dawdles and, or, or makes uh, an easy pass badly. He's trying really hard passes and turning yeah. it over. And I don't know if that's a, an instruction from Chad Ashton, or if he just feels like he has to earn his contract every he's time been, he touches the ball. He's been doing it all year. He's been doing it since he has February. Yeah. So, and so it's I, not I thought it would Chad be Ashton. something. Yeah, that's true. I, we know Ben Olsen was asking him to do that early on. I don't know why that's still the instruction because that's not his skill set. He we're asking him to make through balls that a number ten would not make a high percentage of, and he's he's looking for them and he's seeing them, but they're impossible passes a lot of the time. And discretion can be the better part of valor, and I want to see more of that from him. And I don't know how to make that happen necessarily. <laughs> Yeah, I, but, I do wonder if we might see rotation there. It's definitely possible. I don't necessarily expect it, but I think it's possible. Um, just from a a sheer, you know, the amount of minutes being played, the uh, the fact that this was a game on turf and on the road, yeah. it was it's their first overnight trip in a little while. Um, it did look like his issue was just cramping up um, rather than an actual knock, uh, but at the same time. Uh, if a player's cramping up, it does indicate that there's some sort of fatigue happening. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably not going to be O'Neill Fisher because he's going to be playing elsewhere. I think we know that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the, the possibility, I, I think, I think this game, we're going to see Kevin Paredes somewhere in the starting lineup, um, on one wing or the other, um, just from an energy perspective, it makes more sense. Um, but yeah, it, it could be on the right side instead. Um, it could be Griffin Yao uh, coming in um, and starting uh, and, and um, possibly playing against a rotated left back for Columbus because they've been trying to not text, test anyone too much. So they might want to make a switch there. They've got Waylon Francis. Um, so it could be something like that. I, it's a it's a tough one to call because some of it is just down to fitness data. Um, you know, if Gressel appears to be fine and his fitness data doesn't show any reason to you know think he has to rest then he probably doesn't but 
Um, at a certain point this week, he's probably not going to start every single game um, out of the three. Right. So you've got to think it's it's this one or the Montreal game. So um, it's a it's a curious situation because I I do think he looked a little better, especially as this game went on. I thought he got better. Yeah. Uh, with as the team got better, I thought he got better. Um, and you don't want to after a, if a player's had a frustrating year like this, you don't want to be like you started showing something in the last thirty minutes of that game, and now we're going to rest you. Um, that's kind of a good way to to nip any progress and, and uh, feeling better about yourself. Kind of nip that in the bud. You don't you don't want to do that if you can avoid it. So um, it's a tricky it's a tricky choice for Ashton because the other options are very different players. Um, no one, whether it's Paredes or Yao, they're not going to play right midfield like Julian Gressel plays right midfield. Um, and I, I'm not sure whether their style is what DC needs against Columbus more than it is Gressel's style. Um, so it's a, it's a tight spot to be in, but I, I do expect at least Paredes to come in for one of the wide men, um, whether that's Flores moving up as a forward, whether that's just, you know, Gressel coming in or coming out for uh, Paredes and that's that. Um, but yeah, I do expect some changes there just from a pure energy perspective. You almost have to because the game against Montreal is a quicker turnaround. Again, if I'm not, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is that a Saturday or a Sunday, the Montreal game? Uh, probably one of those. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it's a Sunday. I think that game is November is 1st. So it's, so it's okay, Sunday. So that's the same so turnaround. Yeah. It's not a well, quicker turnaround, but New, it is. New England is the, New England's the first Montreal's the eighth. Montreal's the uh, last game. Okay. Okay. I yeah. So... There's too many games. Uh, we're running out of them in a hurry though there's only three left right it, it's just it's been Maybe. hard to remember how many games there even are but yeah at new england on turf um that's a a game that might require further rotation so if you're saying you know i want gressel playing the revs then you have to rotate him wednesday most likely um and only ask him to play 20 30 minutes but we'll find out you know they're also in this stretch where every game actually does matter we got we we stopped having the point where it's like well the games don't really matter that much so you can rotate whenever you want um so they might these last three games they might be asking players to push and not rotate so much we'll we'll see it's a it's a tough call uh i don't envy the job because it's suddenly become a lot more stressful than it was when it was like look let's just let some guys out there and get some minutes and and see what we can do and now all of a sudden it's like there's a playoff race it's it's a these are real games again which is we're just going to throw back to that. That's still hard to wrap my head around because this team was so bad for so long this year. Um, And it just, everything seems longer in 2020, I think Um, in soccer and life wherever, but like, like you said, 18th month of 2020. uh, I think it is March the 347th today. Something like that. So, uh, I think that's it. I don't have anywhere else to go. Anything else to talk about on the show this week. Uh, So we're going to call it. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear about your German words. Um, And to that end, actually, a friend of the show, Clay Trainum, uh, in in response to uh, Jason's poll about whether the German language allows you to just smash words together. He says his favorite German compound word is 
back gesicht, which means a face asking to be punched. So I just yeah. thought I'd share that because that's a right. good word. It's a good concept and a good word, which is what German does as far as I'm concerned. Uh, download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show whenever you are are gearing up to on, on Zoom or wherever else to watch the game on Wednesday. Just mention the podcast to a friend of yours that you're watching with. That's the about the nicest thing you can do for us. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Don't punch my face. It does not need punching. No, yours isn't asking. <laughs>